0: Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of our Brother's Creed podcast, where we talk about motivation, experiences, and explore what the world has to offer. We're the Thomas Brothers. I'm Ethan. And I'm Jared. And today, we have an awesome guest for you. Uh, his name is, is Benner Call. He was in the 82nd Airborne Infantry in the Army for... he been in the Army for eight years. Uh, we're going to hear about some of his experiences... Um, from doing show of force in Korea on the border to doing recon in Afghanistan along the border. So it's gonna be a great podcast for you today. Yeah, look forward to it. All right, let's do it. You can't climb the ladder of success with your hands in the pocket. We will not go quietly into the night. They tell me you're a man with true grit. I am the one who knocks. Don't ever
1: that's how winning is done
2: all right well welcome to the call today Benner. we appreciate you you taking the time uh, to visit with us and and share some of your life experiences and some of the stuff that you've uh, been through and 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 everything so i guess maybe let's just start off real quick can you maybe give an introduction of yourself and uh uh just let us know about you and just just a, a brief introduction i guess
3: yeah absolutely um like like you said my name's benner benner call um i'm originally from danville california which is just outside of oakland about 20 30 minutes inland um so i spent some time in the bay area i ended up going to utah valley university for a few months uh before leaving on a Religious sabbatical for two years to Leon, Mexico, which is um, where we were where
2: where, where we met. Yep.
3: (laughs) Yep. Um, which was fun. Uh, good times in Leon. Um, and then once I returned home, I spent about a year in college and then went on to enlist in the army, um, spent eight years in the military, had some fun experiences there and ended up transitioning out here recently about a year and now i'm going to school at the university of north texas
2: cool so i wanted to ask you first off thank you for your service yes i appreciate <laughs> it yeah yes definitely i wanted to ask you you know after we we were in mexico together you came back you went to school for a little bit what was that motivation to to join the army has that had that been always something you always wanted to do or what was the
3: so it, it never really was something that was like pertinent on my mind to to join Um, I knew that the military was always an option on the table. I had a few friends join. Um, I had friends that had served and passed and I was like, "Ah, I don't know if I want to do that type of job. Um, and then I talked to a friend who I was actually trying to be a firefighter in college studying fire science at UVU or Utah Valley university. Yeah. And he suggested, you know, Hey, if you want some work experience, think about the army, think about the military. And so I said, okay, thought about it. I'd probably thought about it for about a good six, seven months. Um, and then after I got accepted into the Fire Academy, um, they changed their standards on how they accepted candidates for the Fire Academy. I needed a higher level math. And I was like, you know what? I'm going to join the military. Math. Math. <laughs> yeah. I, I don't know why I needed a higher level math to learn how to put water on fire. Yeah. Um, so I ended up enlisting in the Army. Doing a the delayed entry program as an enlisted soldier, um, I, I entered in as a private first class. Okay, um, and and then once I hit January, uh, shipped off to Fort Benning, Georgia, and that's where my adventure started.
0: Now, that was for boot camp.
3: Uh, basic training. Oh, basic boot camp training. is what the the Marines okay. and Navy do.
0: Awesome,
2: awesome. So is it sim- basic training is similar to like a boot camp, right?
3: Yeah, it's basically kind of like, hey, this is the introduction to the army. You're going to get yelled at, figure it out.
2: Well, as of all the times to be in Georgia, January is a good time.
3: (laughs) (laughs) It was. (laughs) We We had like crazy weather that year, too. We had like severe thunderstorms and like typhoons coming in. And we're just like, all right, we don't know what to do. Just tell us where we go.
2: Oh, man. Wow. So what was that like? Was it you know you're kind of gone in in the modern uh, world? You know you see like these movies like was that one like? Full, was it Full Metal Jacket where the guy's like yelling <laughs> at him and he's like you you. you. I think there's that so many... was the Vietnam War,
0: but yeah, it was a while well, there's just like so many
2: ones, but you know that these Major Pain, that's one I always liked.
3: <laughs> yeah, Major Pain's always a good one. That's like that's like JROTC what they do. Yeah. Um, but like with Full Metal Jacket. It's interesting because it's kind of a Marine thing that they do. Uh-huh. They still wear the the brown rim hats. Um, you're still getting yelled at, standing at attention, having to do obstacle courses. It's basically kind of like, hey, this is the physical assessment of the Army. Figure it out. And if you can't do it, well, then you got to figure it out eventually.
2: Or we'll assign you something easy.
0: <laughs> yeah. How long
2: was that <laughs> yeah, process?
3: Right.
0: How long was the process? How long was basic?
3: Um, so basic training was three months. Um, and so most of the guys that when you're at basic training with, you know what your job is Mm -hmm. in the army. So I enlisted as an infantryman.
0: And that's um, what really your your MOS, is that what that's called? Your,
3: um, so my MOS was 11 Bravo. That's like your, your nomenclature for that Mm -hmm. job. The title of it is infantry. Okay. Um, and so basically you're going in with everybody being infantry. So they understand things, but I didn't know anything about the army. So I knew like, Oh yeah, I, I shoot an AR-15, but it's not an AR-15; it's an M4. <laughs> yeah. Um, I was like, "Oh, it's going to be like Band of Brothers. It's going to be I'm wearing greens all the time."
2: <laughs> no. Why Why did you choose the army over the marines or Navy Seal or like the Air Navy Force? Or Air or... Force, yeah.
3: So I didn't really want to join the Navy because it it just didn't really intrigue me, and I think their office was closed at the time um, they're lost. So, they're
0: lost. Yeah, exactly. exactly.
3: Um, and then the Marines, I said, no, I'm just not that interested in them. I had friends go that had gone to Afghanistan and Iraq and passed away by stepping on IEDs and oh, all geez. sorts of stuff. Yeah, And I was like, no, I don't want to go down that route. I'm going to, I want to do the army. Um, and then I didn't, I didn't think I saw the air force office that day.
2: Huh? Yeah. Interesting. Well, uh, yeah, sometimes it's, uh, Yeah, it's good luck of the draw. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) So other than uh, other than
0: basic, um, I guess you know after that three months, did what what happened after that? Was there additional specialty training that you did, or were there any additional courses, or was it you went went right into um, deployment or whatever that may be? And
2: how'd you get into the airborne uh, regiment, eighty six? Right, you said eighty second. A second, okay.
3: So what I ended up doing is that after basic training, they send you to what's called advanced individual training, which is where they teach you sort of like the ins and outs of your job. Um, so for me, it was learning uh, basic infantry tactics, squad level movements, team level movements, uh, vehicle movements, how to clear rooms, clear buildings, dealing with all sorts of different stuff. Um, just sort of like, you know, the crawl, walk, run phase of what they give you. Um, and so I found out that I was going to be stationed in, uh, Schofield Barracks, Hawaii, probably the worst place to get stationed to your first duty station. Um, (laughs) and, um, while I was there, we did a bunch of different tours. We did what's called the Pacific pathways, um, which is where they send you out via airplane on a boat. Um, and you go tour different countries and do training with them. Um,
2: so to teach them, to teach them or to just to train with them,
3: just to train with them. Oh, okay. Um, and at that time I was, when I did my first Pacific pathways, um, I w I just did the army's jungle warfare course. And so like, um, so I got, I had that experience going forward. Um, and I had worked on army communication systems. Um, with satellite communications bouncing radio waves off of satellites to a different part of the country. Um, And that we used most of that in Korea, communicating with helicopters, vehicles, um, just showing them where we want their rounds to be placed, where Mm. people should be moving. Um, And then when I went airborne was when I signed a new contract with the Army and ended up going back to Fort Benning Uh, for five weeks and learning how to fall out of planes.
2: Oh, cool. Going back to one thing you said about Korea, did Mm -hmm. you ever do those uh, border operation, the show of force kind of things?
3: Yes, we did the show of force. We actually made it in the newspaper. We were on CNN. Um,
2: That doesn't mean much.
3: (laughs) Right? (laughs) But it was when, uh, I think it was when Kim Jong-il was still alive. We we didn't really understand the rules of what was supposed to be going on at the time with South Korea and the different rules they had. Apparently, you're not allowed to shoot after midnight, um, and we shot till about three thirty in the morning. Um, Are you we shooting real rounds
2: a- or just fake rounds? Yeah, real rounds. Oh, okay.
3: And um, it was three thirty in the morning, and we were at a camp called Camp Rodriguez, um, which is I think it's like two, three miles from North Korea. Um, and how you get there. If I remember right, we had to cross a bridge. No, no, that was warrior base. We were at yeah, warrior base. Um, and how to get there. If I remember right, we had to cross a bridge that was like rigged with explosives. Hmm. Um, and it was like during a high tension with North Korea too, if I remember right. So it was under the Obama administration and they were like, just trying to figure things out. Nothing was going right. And they were always upset whenever, uh, soldiers got closer to the border. Um, and we had guys get to go to places. Um, some guys got to go to the DMZ. Some guys or the demilitarized zone. Some guys went to Korea or Seoul, Korea. Um, I think what else did we do? That was fun out there. Um, and the DMZ was really interesting. So basically, we, oh, go ahead.
2: No, no, you go ahead. Talk about DMZ. Yeah. So the
3: DMZ South Korea has a town on one side and North Korea has a town on the other. They look identical, but the North Korean side is bigger. It's huh. like a play of power they have that North Korea has to do everything bigger than South Korea. It's is it, weird. Yeah. Is it
0: like a dead zone between, I mean, there's like fences and, and stuff on the border, or is it like actually pretty close?
3: It, it, it is the border. So, where President Trump met uh, Kim Jong-un and, like, shook his hand and walked into North Korea, that's the border. He walked right in.
2: Yeah, isn't it like it, there's, like, the lines <laughs> in the middle of the buildings where, like, it's like the middle yep. of a factory and it's like, well, you can work in this building, but, like, why well, you yep. you'd think that they would just tear the whole town down and just build a border that you could never cross.
3: Then you invaded their country. <laughs> and they get offended by that.
2: Well, they would, each side would do that, you know? They would just say, we're going to tear this whole town down and just move the border back, like like two miles
3: it's it's they're very picky and very prideful in their in their standings and in their country like the people aren't Uh
0: uh-huh
3: but but the but the dictatorship is
0: it's just very Uh, political yes so like certain things will set them off
3: rocket boy yeah (laughs) (laughs) um like we couldn't we went into one room that was designated the south korean side Um, Which just has a long table and there's a phone in the middle where the North, where the South Korean president sits. And in the other building, there's another table that's the North Korean side that we weren't allowed to go into. Hmm. And we couldn't go there in like uniform or anything. We had to be in civilian clothes um, or normal clothes. And like you can see, like they take you down to where the North Koreans try to dig an underground tunnel. And they say in their, like, little, uh, what's it called, their little briefing that they started hearing the ground moving underneath them, and that's when they discovered the North Koreans digging underneath to enter their country. Wow. Were, they,
0: were they trying, people trying to escape, or was it, like, a some no, kind of they were, the government trying to get, a, a get in somehow, or, huh?
3: Yep, they were trying to invade secretly South Korea.
0: Wow.
2: That happens all uh, the time on the southern border of the United States. <laughs> right.
3: And like you'll see balloons, um, and they'll like it's just a random balloon floating across the sky to North Korea. And like if you look close enough at them, some of them have like USBs. Um, I've heard some they send over with animals,
2: really like pirate, or like food, American yeah, DVDs and stuff. Yeah,
3: they just send them on a USB drive because they don't get that information. Yeah, they yeah. don't have the internet. Crazy. Like the US has blocked off their country from internet.
0: Wow. Interesting, that's yeah. Wow. Well, I guess that's
2: that's communism, right?
0: <laughs> it's one of the effects of it. <laughs> yeah, one of the effects of it, I guess.
2: <laughs> so, I know. So, you said you did some other tours in the Pacific, uh, just kind of training with other people. What was it like mm-hmm. training with these other countries? I mean, like, I would say the American military machine is like top notch of the world, and you are dealing with some of these guys in these other countries. I mean, Korea, you are pro- they're probably legit because we fund them for basically everything. But, like, you ever just deal with, like, real amateurs and you're like, man, what are we doing training with these people?
3: So it's different. Like, they see things differently because some of them are constantly preparing for, like, their own country's upheaval. Um, So, like, Singapore is preparing for China. Um, The Philippines is preparing for, like, their own terrorist attacks in there. Australia is preparing for different warfare that they have. And same thing with the United States. We prepare for the, you know, the future of warfare, um, which could be a numerous amount of different countries that we have. Um, and so, like, I remember one time we were training, I don't know, what's that? Uh, it's, so we call it Atropia in the military. If you ever see somebody that's, that wears, like, uh, an Atropia veteran shirt, it's because Atropia is a made up country that we always use in the military.
2: kind of like a widget right yeah
3: it's like it's like our own go to country Um, and so like atropia can be anywhere from an urban environment to a dry desert to um, to anything it's crazy what we do with atropia and atropia is crazy
2: Um,
3: but some of most countries are pretty good with what they do Um. It's just getting them to accept that somebody else is teaching them that is not of their culture. They look at Americans and say, oh, you're great, but you're not like us.
0: There's probably Um, a massive language barrier too. Yeah, and
3: they give you interpreters and everything. Um, With the Thai army, after you're done training with them, they do what's called like – I'm trying to remember – the actual term for it, but they do what's like a, they, you basically kill a king cobra and you drink its blood.
0: Dang. Did you do that? Yeah. No, oh, I, I, was, I was going to say, that, that's pretty crazy. That's what, <laughs> that's, that's pretty, the, in the, in the Thai, <laughs> the Thai army, that's their, yeah. Their that's name. like
2: their
3: go-to thing. They love it. They well, go crazy for it for the Americans.
2: I heard maybe, I heard that for the Green Beret, when you become a Green Beret, this guy, a, 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 a a, not a professor, a teacher in high school told me this. He was this giant guy. He was a uh, Green Beret. He said that they gave him a salamander and a beer and they had him swallow the salamander and keep it down with a beer. And that was like <laughs> the last thing he had to do before he became a Green Beret.
3: <laughs> I've never heard that. I have a few buddies that are Green Berets. I'll, I'll, I'll have to They ask must that. have
2: retired the salamander procedure. <laughs> yeah,
0: well, I mean, that guy was probably in his late, he was in his late 50s. At the, at the time, 20 yeah. 20 years ago. <laughs> Jeez. But so so you said you, you were in the in the Pacific for uh a while and then and then you you re enlisted? Was that like was that four mm-hmm. years and then you re enlisted again after that four years and then you had another four years? Or is that and then yep. so when you got to that point and you started as as you said, falling out of airplanes. Um tell us a little bit about that. I mean, and that that's kind of where the airborne part came in. How did you get to that point? What made you decide to go that way?
3: So in the military, you have like a bunch of leaders and you look at what what makes them good leaders. Um, You know, of course you think, oh, it's the leadership qualities they have. Um, But one thing that sets you apart in the military is the schools you attend. Um, Similar to kind of how it is in like normal work in like the civilian side, you attend certain courses, get certain certificates. that's how it is with the military and being infantry. Um, And so I had qualified to be, um, air assault at the time, which is where you get to repel out of helicopters and fast rope out of helicopters, which is where you're not like hooked into anything and you get to grab this rope that they send out and you just basically slide down. Yeah. Um, uh, and then at airborne school, they teach you basically how to fall properly and hopefully not break your legs with a parachute. Yeah. Um, and you're dropping from about 1200 to 1400 feet, um, and at airborne school, you do five jumps. You do three-day jumps and two-night jumps. Um, and it's with different stuff.
2: It's fun. I you know, saw a band of brothers, and you know, back in the day, they hook up like this, and then they go, and they mm-hmm. go out the door, and immediately their shoot pulls. Is that the same way? No. <laughs> <laughs> How do um, they do it now?
3: So now what happens is that you still have that same static line. You hook up. And as you're going, somebody takes your static line and then you jump, you turn towards the door, you step out and you're supposed to count to 6,000. And if your chute doesn't open after 6,000, then you have to figure out what's going on. Or you're getting, um,
2: <laughs> yeah, put <Pull> your backup <laughs> Some, chute or something.
3: And you, and you do have a backup chute, but sometimes that doesn't work or sometimes you're being dragged by the aircraft.
0: So how many, uh, how many times did you jump? I know you said five in school. Um, I you jump? have,
3: I have 37 jumps in wow. two years.
2: Wow. Do you did, ever have anything go did wrong? Did you ever or? get dragged by the aircraft? I want to understand more what that means.
3: <laughs> so basically what can happen is that your static line can get caught in a corner of the aircraft or that it's knotted, um, up in the air or knotted up in your parachute,
1: uh-huh.
3: uh, carrier and you can't unhook it or anything and you can't do anything because, the people inside don't know you're stuck because they're dealing with. I think the most I've jumped at one time is like 275 people. Oh wow! We've all jumped out, um, and you just have to get wait until you get either get pulled back in or your chute opens up and you fall.
2: Has anything and ever happened? open up yours. Has anything ever happened um, to you?
3: No. The craziest thing that's ever happened to me is that I almost hit a vehicle. I was like, I think I was like a. Foot away from landing, right on it, right on the hood of it, of a Hummer, of a Humvee, a Hummer, basically. Um, we had guys. I've had friends get get their static line, what they used to connect, wrapped around their arm. They've torn their bicep, torn their uniform. Um, I've had friends land in the trees. Um, I landed in a river, in a, like a small river once, um, and that was terrifying because I was like, I don't know how deep this thing is. I don't know if I'm going to be able to stand and your parachute basically either falls on top of you or falls off to the side.
1: Yeah, you can. And it drown. was a night. Yeah.
3: Yeah. <laughs> and it was a nighttime jump and I was just like, "All right, here I go. Either I'm going down or just got to deal with it."
0: Yeah. Um did you uh how much control do you have of your of your parachute in that type of scenario? I mean, I know, you see like a lot of these uh, commercial guys jumping on airplanes and they're doing trick stuff and you can steer and all that kind of stuff. But in, in this scenario, are they more just, you just fall and where you fall, you fall or. So you have
3: what's called risers. It's basically like a little connector to your harness. Um, you don't really have much connection or much control cause you're kind of subject to the wind and thermals coming off the ground. Um, we had one guy stuck in the air for like two minutes he was stuck in a thermal which is just heat coming off the ground and he got caught up in his chute Yeah, and you're supposed to try to get out of it Um, but he didn't realize he was stuck in it because he's like I think he was at like
2: he was enjoying the view
3: yeah he was at like Like, 700 feet and he can't hear us but he's seeing all of us fall faster than him
0: basically it's like a hot air balloon it's like the hot air is coming up in your parachute and lifting you up
3: exactly and you can't you just Mm -hmm. have to try to maneuver yourself out of it if there's wind
2: yeah So you said you did quite a bit of jumps. Did you do any like in, I mean, all obviously probably many of those were training jumps, but did you do do any into like, I know you said you served some time in Afghanistan. We haven't gotten that that part of your story yet, but did you don't jump any in Afghanistan?
3: So they don't do any more combat jumps in Afghanistan. They mostly use it for initial invasions or airfield seizures. Um, Uh So like I, I had a, a leader, one time, he had jumped into Kosovo, Iraq, and I think he jumped in a Desert Storm. Um, but we don't, because Afghanistan is already mostly controlled by or was mostly controlled by the U.S. Um, we don't jump anymore in there.
0: There wasn't a, there wasn't a need for it because you could just yeah. what transport in, land at an airfield, and yeah. you'd, you'd be there.
3: Exactly. Unless they wanted you to jump for fun. But yeah. even then, the, the rocks, if I'm, I'm remembering right, the rocks were so sharp. I went through like three or four pairs of workout shoes because the rocks just like tore through them.
2: Oh, wow. Yeah. Well, tell us about, about more about your experience. And so I, how long after you got in airborne school uh, did you go to Afghanistan? And what would you do over there?
3: So after airborne school, I spent about a year, a year and yeah, a little less than a year um, at Fort Bragg. Um, and then so I had my daughter. My daughter was born and they told me I wasn't going to be deploying if I even made it out on the plane. Um, and then we had just celebrated the 4th of July. So my daughter was a month old at the time. And July 5th comes around about to show up for morning formation and I get a phone call and they say, Hey, are your bags still packed or ready to go to Afghanistan? And I was like, well, yeah, you, you haven't told me really much else. So I just left them packed because you never know. Yeah. And, and they said, all right, your flight leaves in 10 hours. Oh man. Get ready. Um, That's and a so hard conversation I,
2: to have with your wife. <laughs> yeah, that was
3: a <laughs> very fun conversation. Um, so she, we had just had our newborn and luckily enough, my mother was in town visiting. Um, and so, you know, we,
2: you're like, yeah, so do you, do you remember my job? Remember how (laughs) they were going to have me go to Afghanistan? So about that.
3: (laughs) Yeah. And I basically had to load up, get on a plane on the 5th of July after for the 4th of July and ship out to Afghanistan. Um, it was me and another person we shipped out to Afghanistan. We didn't have rifles. We didn't have ammo All of our stuff was supposedly already there in Afghanistan. Um, And the only people that were in charge of us was us at the time. We didn't know anybody. We didn't know where we were going, who we were going with. We just knew we needed to get to this one place where the rest of our guys were at, um, which was uh, Camp Dwyer in Afghanistan. It is this tiny little hole in the wall base that if you looked at it, you'd be like, there's actual people that are living here. Yeah, we were... So on most posts you have like a decent size like I don't want to say shopping building shopping center but you have like an area to be able to go by like toiletries and like stuff. a
2: commissary right
3: Yes a commissary Yeah ours was a truck a truck trailer that they changed to be a commissary <laughs> Um so it was one hallway and that was it It's everything always it's you- always out
0: of stock
1: <laughs> Yeah
3: Exactly and everything else you ordered off of Amazon if you got it Really? Um yeah. Wow. We ordered a lot of stuff off of Amazon just to like have things. bedding, um supplements, clothes, anything we could get from Amazon. They would ship to us.
0: So being in um, a being in a small um I guess it's considered a base at that point. Yeah. Uh being in a small base does that mean maybe it was it was closer to to combat or was it um just kind of in maybe a more remote area or So
3: during the time we were there, it was supposed to be what was considered a peaceful time between uh, the Taliban and the U.S. Um, So where the base is about four or five miles from us, there is um, there was a river that divided the two states between the Taliban and the United States. They don't really talk about it much because President Obama said, hey, you stay on your side of the land. We'll stay on ours and we won't engage you if you don't engage us. Um, and so basically what we would do most of the time is that we would go out, go up on the hillside and see what's going on with them across the river, see if there's anything weird going on. Um, and so sometimes they would pop up on the radio saying, Hey, you know, you, Trying to think of how to say this properly. Um, you crazy guys, if you're going to do something, we're going to harass your mothers and such. <laughs> and they would come back, oh, you're with the Americans, blah, blah, blah. They'd yell at us. Um, and then they wouldn't do anything. Um, with the previous units, they would just go across the river and just engage them as much as they could to push them back. Yeah. Um, and then, it, okay, so <laughs> this is. This is one detail I forgot. And before I got to my base, we had gone to three different bases before I got there. So I had gone, you no, know, two different bases. I went to what's called Bagram Airfield, which is if you've seen Lone Survivor, that's where it starts with them in Afghanistan. And then I went to um, I went Bagram. And then I went to Kandahar and Kandahar is like the main hub of where all the bases are at. It's one of the largest bases that we have in Afghanistan. And it basically after we got to Kandahar, we had already been in country about 2 weeks with no weapons, no ammo, no nothing.
1: Yeah. And our
3: and our I think it was like our first night there, that's when we first got our like initial baptism of fire. And they, we start hearing the sirens going off. And we're like, okay, what's happening? What are we going to do? And all of a sudden, we start hearing this whistling. If So if you hear a whistle, that means a big round's coming in. And you really don't have much time to get away from it. Um, and we hear the whistling. And all of a sudden, it's just like a loud explosions. Uh, we had about three or four rounds come in that night um, of, I want to say it was I want to say it was like 80, 80 millimeter rocket propelled grenades coming in uh, from the Taliban. Um, And our anti uh, missile system missed them. They missed shooting them down because they were so small. Yeah. Um, And so that happened and they hit the Georgian base and on Kandahar, they have like four or five different countries that are stationed there. They have like the Aussies, the Georgians, the Kenyans and us. And I think the Germans
2: really, yeah, interesting. I didn't think that.
3: I didn't. The Kenyans are there. Yeah, they're just there to pull security. They they send like twelve of them.
2: Oh, okay. I was gonna say, I didn't realize (laughs) that there was a Kenyan force. (laughs) They they get it
3: for experience. Oh, okay. Interesting. And so, like, even with like laundry services um, and other like leisures that they have on bases, they are all contracted out to either locals or foreign countries and so the lady who did our laundry at Dwyer she was a Kenyan
2: oh really Hmm. yeah
3: we had our own laundry service at at Dwyer I know that sounds terrible to say but like they did our laundry because we don't have washer dryers yeah
2: yeah huh interesting so you're there and you're just kind of making sure that these guys stay on their side of the river the whole time I mean how how long were you there
3: so I was there three months um and While I was there, I was selected to be part of what's called the Warrant Officer Candidate School to go to uh, the U.S. Army Flight School in Fort Rucker, Alabama.
2: Oh, nice.
3: And so I got to go fly helicopters um, while I was in. That's better said. Um, And it it was like this big ordeal to try to get me out of country. Um, They spent... Yeah, I spent yeah, they spent three months in country. We had camel spiders, pit vipers, wild dogs, wild cats, camel herds. Um, yeah, it was crazy.
2: but It was fun. That's just cra- crazy <laughs>
0: stuff that you never see. You know, living in I don't know, living in the U.S. Yeah, I mean, you, I guess you'll there's... see some of
2: that in Mexico, though. Yeah, well, <laughs> yeah.
3: <laughs> you don't have you're... to worry about social media. You don't have to worry about yeah. All sorts of stuff, and life is just simpler.
0: Yeah. What, What? Um, and maybe this is more of a personal question, how, how was communication with your family whenever you're at that smaller base? I mean, did you have internet or satellite phones or something? How How'd you communicate with your wife?
3: So they had an internet service that was outsourced to a company here in Texas. Um, and the internet service you had to pay for, it what, was spotty. And you had to figure out what times of the day you could use it because it got so hot. It rained one time while we were there. Um, and it was 127 degree heat every single day in the middle of the day.
0: Wow. I feel, and, I, feel, I feel sorry for the lady that had to wash you guys' clothes.
3: Well, she was in a nice air-conditioned building. But <laughs> she was she was really nice. I guess, that's, um,
0: I guess that's true. But 120 degrees, there's a lot of sweating going around, especially if you're hiking up oh, hills yeah. and everything else. Yeah. A lot of swassing going on. Yeah.
3: (laughs) (laughs) And it was just a fun time. Um, I'm trying to think with the internet, communication wise, I had a laptop and I had my phone, but I had to figure out when I could get internet and all that stuff. And so I emailed the company in Texas and they came out and sent out like three or four different uh, technicians to come fix the Wi-Fi that we had. Cause it was not working for a while. And so I would use my cell phone service to reach out to her, which is also kind of risky because who's controlling the cell phone service in Afghanistan and yeah. all that fun jazz.
2: Yeah. So you had um, to like talk in code. We
3: just couldn't. <laughs> so we weren't allowed to take pictures. Oh, okay. Um, so there was like certain things on the base that we couldn't take pictures of. Um, I think I have like a picture of a sunset, and that's it.
2: Could you like uh, do like a video, like a video camera chat with her? Or yeah,
3: but I couldn't show her the base. Okay, yeah, yeah. Just she could see like the she room. She could you see were like in. the yeah, like the conics I was living in. Yeah, they yeah. turn they turn shipping conics into rooms. They just divide them in half and say two people per room.
2: Oh, okay. Yeah, interesting. So then you went to helicopter school and you learned how to fly helicopters.
3: Yeah, and so I went to flight school at Fort Rucker, um, and they send you to a bunch of different schools while you're there, um, and that's where I ranked up to become a warrant officer, which is like a technical expert in the Army. Mm -hmm. Um, And while I was there, I went to what's called SEER school, which is survival, evasion, uh, resistance, and escape school.
2: That sounds fun.
3: Uh, It's basically like POW school on steroids.
2: Oh, geez. Um, It's like Rambo school, man. They just send you out in the woods with a knife. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> that
3: <laughs> yeah, we did that, uh, and that's it, it. And like, they send green berets, they send pilots, they send rangers, they send whoever they can
0: to it. Is that um, like in case you get shot down somewhere, or something like that, or, or, or yeah. captured, and you have to you have to evade and, and escape and things like that?
3: Yep. Then you have to learn to survive off the land because you don't know when trouble is or help is coming. And it's it's a fun course. That's cool. <laughs> Um, And then I attended flight school um, and I selected uh, Blackhawks. Um, And while I was at Blackhawk school, I sustained or UH UH-60 Mike school, I sustained an injury where I had to be uh, released from the course. And because of my previous prerequisites, I couldn't change jobs in the Army. And so I had to either go back down in my rank and back to my old job or get out. Really? And so I chose to get out, and mm. here I am.
2: That must have been a hard thing, uh, you know, yeah. where you're trying to get... Did you actually get to, to fly some Blackhawks, or, or you were doing training, and then did this injury happen because you were uh, you were doing so, that?
3: So the injury happened because I was training. Yeah. Um, the vibrations of it hurt my back way too much, and I caused some major damage that I probably... That I'm recovering still from. Oh, man. Um, like I'm seeing a chiropractor. I'm getting um,
2: Steroid- crazy
3: types of therapy on it. Yeah. And it's improved, but it doesn't disqualify me for from service. Oh, man. Um, but I just can't fly anymore Yeah. with that. And so I got to fly the Black Hawk. Um, I met Mike Durant, who was the pilot that got captured um, in Mogadishu. During Black Hawk Down, yeah, he, come, yeah. he comes out, and he's a phenomenal guy, super nice guy. Um, but it's it's a different breed, a different animal to be a pilot, yeah. memorizing everything, and then flying, and then maneuvering, and then having to say it while you're flying. It is completely different.
2: Wow. Yeah, that that sounds like a tough uh, situation. So then at that point, you were like, well, I'm not going to go back, so I might as well just uh, dip out and and leave uh, the military yeah. altogether.
0: So, so was your contract up at that point or was it mel- uh, medical related or? Um, so are you? It,
2: so they called it
3: a, a failure to complete the course. Okay. Because I'm not medically discharged because it wasn't a career ending injury. It was a job ending inj- injury. I could still serve, but I couldn't serve in that job. Yeah. And I couldn't serve as a warrant officer because I didn't have the, Prerequisites to be in other warrant officer jobs. Does that make sense? Like, I didn't have those yeah. certificates to go work in other warrant officer jobs. Yeah, yeah. Or the previous rank. Uh, you
0: know, I've I've heard, um, you know, obviously Jared and I aren't an expert at the the military paths and even the lingo and stuff like that. <laughs> no, we're not. but are um, You know, I, I've I've known a couple people that have kind of potentially backed themselves into a corner, almost uh, not mm-hmm. not not purposefully, but you kind of. You go down a road and then, and then there's a roadblock and it's it's kind of hard to get away from from there. Kind of hard to turn around. So exactly at this point, are you back in civilian life or you said you're going to school right now?
3: Yeah, so I am a civilian. Um, I am going to school. I'm doing everything to um, be healthy enough to continue service. So, right now, I am trying to create my officer candidate school packet to get back in the Army to be an officer. So, instead of being a warrant officer, I'd be an officer, which is like the lieutenants, the captains, yeah, yeah. majors, and such on. Um, and so, with that, that would allow me to continue my service. I just can't go fly anymore.
2: Yeah. Well, you probably do your different capacity, you know, come back in. I have oh, yeah. a cousin that's a JAG officer uh, in the. Air Force, right? Yeah, mm-hmm. we have
0: we have another cousin who um, he went. He got a a, a master's in finance mm-hmm. and had the. I think is I, I might botch this. I think it's the National Guard paid for his uh, his master's degree, and then in turn he uh, he served, um, and he's actually still in service today. So he was in uh, Kuwait for um, I think a, almost a year, yeah. and so. Uh yeah, I mean it's just I, I I it's it's interesting how many different ways there are to go about military service whether it's just enlisting or or officer program or even I know the ROTC has a whole program <laughs> that they go through, um so it's just it's just oh, interesting. Yeah.
2: So I I guess you know you you talked to us about your military career. You've had some successes and you've had some some situations where you've uh you know had some roadblocks come up. What have you learned from your military experiences kind of like what keeps you motivated? I know you're like a real dri- I mean I watch your Instagram. You're a real driven person and I admire that about you. What keeps you driven? What motivates you to keep going? And uh yeah, if you could just talk about that for a little bit.
3: So, what really is motivating me right now is that, you know, I'm trying to find I don't want to say I'm trying to find. I found my noble purpose. My purpose I know what it is i i 'm motivated to reach my full potential and my full potential I know where it is, and if it 's not there, then I have to find it somewhere else
2: can you share and that so can you share with us what that is
3: yeah, so for me, I know my full potential right now is in the army you know if I see myself in the future, you know my ten minutes of meditation, I see myself fulfilling my noble and higher purpose in the army you know yeah through throughout history you know it's been known for people to have that higher mental state of finding their purpose. Yeah. Whether it be being a psychologist, being a doctor, being in the military, being an accountant, whatever,
2: mm-hmm. being
3: president heck. um, You know, I feel driven towards this purpose. Um, not only, you know, does, is it great for my family, but it's also bettering me and staying focused on accomplishing this goal.
2: Yeah. So, uh, that's great. I mean, that's, uh, that's something that I think very few people can find is that that one singular purpose Where like, this is what I want to do. I want to focus all my energies on doing this. Have you thought about what you actually want to do when you get back into the military? I
3: have, there are like three or four jobs that I have in mind. Um, you know, my top job that I would love to have is I um, would want to go either field artillery, which is controlling cannons and stuff like that, or I want to go military intelligence or that's more of a de- infantry. That's
2: more of a desk job, military intelligence, right?
3: It can be. Um, it just depends on who you get assigned to. Um, so, like, I have friends that are assigned to uh, special forces units that work with them and analyzing their intelligence and helping them figure out what the next step is. Hmm.
0: Cool. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I liked what you said. You kind of, you found that purpose, and you found uh, the path that that makes you feel like it's going to allow you to spread your wings and get, get to where you mm-hmm. want to be. Um, I really like that. Kind of a question that, that I had that went along with what Jared's was is, um, how have you, uh, how has your military experience um impacted your day-to-day life? I guess, you know, how, how, how has the the, the the training or the things that you've learned in the military helped improve the basically your, your personal life?
3: So being in the military, you know, everybody says, oh, you need to be disciplined. You need to figure out what you need to do. You need to make your bed every morning. You need to do these things. Um, and being in the military, yes, I am disciplined enough to figure things out. Um, I think it was I think it's Jocko Willink who says, uh, discipline equals freedom. Yeah. And you know, I try to be as disciplined as I can, whether it be running a mile to running five miles a day. You know, I want to push myself to at least get that first step out the door to make something hard happen. Um and how it impacts me with my military experience is that I have to figure out my block schedule. And I plan things out so meticulously from, you know, the time I go to bed to the time I wake up to the time I'm going to be at work to my lunch to what I'm having for lunch. You know, my Google calendar is filled out. My Apple calendar. Or yeah, it's my Apple calendar is filled out. Yeah. And it makes it so planning is key to everything for me.
2: That's excellent. Can you maybe share what your morning routine is? Uh, yeah, that'd be interesting.
3: So I wake up 4:30 in the morning. I so I have to leave my phone in another room, or else I won't get out of bed. I've tried it several different ways. I was like, oh "Okay, maybe if I leave my phone on my nightstand." No, I put my phone in my bathroom next to my sink, so I have to get up out of bed and go to the far side of the room
2: and hit the alarm. Uh, off. Turn the alarm off.
3: <laughs> exactly.
2: I bet your wife hates as soon as- that. <laughs> So she's gotten used
3: to it by now. Oh, really? Good. (laughs) So I walk in my bathroom, turn off my alarm, and then I grab my phone, head out to my living room, give my morning gratitude. It's roughly five to seven minutes of gratitude. And then I put on my shirt, put on my boots, or not my boots, my shoes. And then I either go for a run or I go work out. Um, And luckily enough, here in Texas, we have our uh, gyms open so I can go to the gym. Um, either go to the gym or go for a nice cardio run in the mornings. Um, and then I'm normally back by about six, 30 in the morning. And that's when I start making my breakfast. I'm having my oatmeal with, um, with my peanut butter, a little bit of protein powder and honey. And then I make my protein shake with it, have it on the go in the car. And then by seven o'clock, no, by eight o'clock I'm at work and I have my six hour block at work. And then I have my lunch about an hour and a half after or hour and a half, uh, before I get off work. And then I come home, spend about two, three hours with the family, depending on certain days, uh, Wednesdays it's three hours, but on Thursdays I have an hour class after work. So that gets delayed, but my morning routine is very meticulous. Like I have to do things a certain way or else I won't get out of bed.
2: That's great. I think that's you, that self mastery is so important, and that's something that I think is just. I want to just soak all that up from you uh, because I'm trying. To, we've Nathan been doing the same. We've been uh, doing the kind of a little bit of a workout challenge between the two of us and uh, it's, Bo- body and mind. That's yeah. right, body and mind and spirit too. Yeah, right. but I, I think
0: one thing that you said is kind of key. Is, it's 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 that calendar aspect of it. It's writing it down, creating the schedule so that it's not like you wake up in the morning and you're like, Well, okay, you know, what am I gonna do today? It's it's already there. It's like, Okay, this is what I'm gonna do. So let's attack it. I like that. Yeah. Yeah.
3: And you know, Sundays, you know, of course for us we go to church and all that stuff, but Sundays are my preparation day, are my planning, my meals, talking to my wife, making sure we I'm not missing anything crazy.
2: Yeah. Yeah, totally. Well, hey, this has been awesome. I we really this has been a great conversation. Uh, one of the things we want to ask you kind towards the end here. I know we're getting kind of uh, to the time limit here, so we wanted to ask you about your creed. So, a, a creed is a set of beliefs or or aims that guide someone's actions. Uh, would you briefly share with us some of the tenets of your personal creed?
3: Yeah. Um, so, my personal creed, um, I. I try to live by, you know, I don't want to say a warrior ethos, but a warrior Zen mentality. I want to be the most respected, but most controlled person in a room, whether it be the phone's going off the hook, shots are being fired, there's a fire in the room, there's a cockroach on the floor, somebody has to be calm and controlled But willing to do what is necessary at any moment. And the same thing goes for me with school, too. You know, I'm in school, but I know when my homework assignments are due. I know I can do them and I have to do them. Yes, they feel meticulous at times, but I know they're going to be mastery for me in the future. Just like how warriors, you know, and the Spartans and the Aztecs and, you know, the Scottish, they all took time to train. School is a time for me to train. Yeah. Um, And this is for me to be better. This is for me to sharpen my skills, to hone
0: down on what I can be. I like that kind of self-mastery.
2: Yeah. I like that. That's great. I mean, I I think that being that guy in the, the guy or gal in the room who's just as confident and able to stay calm under pressure and just use that logic and reason reason and not let your emotions take control I think that is very, very powerful. I think it. I think it makes you dependable as well for
0: for others that you know, mm-hmm. others can look to you, whether it's a family or friend or or you know service in the community or a church or whatever it is um, that that people can look for you to 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 help when help is needed. Yeah. Absolutely, you know, even a
3: good Christian reference. Throw it out there, you know, Christ when he was on the boat and the apostles that were with them and the waves were taking over the ship, you know, what was Christ doing? Taking a nap, (laughs) but you know, they freaked out and Christ said, Hey, waves be calm. Yeah. Bro, chill. I got this.
2: Yeah. Yeah. I like that. That's a, that's a great example. Um, Hey, this has been so awesome. I I really appreciate you coming on and, uh, this has been a great conversation. I, I think I've learned a lot, uh, a lot, of, a lot more about military lingo as well. So uh, you've had some awesome experiences, and uh, <laughs> I, I wish you, you know, so well in in your schooling and, and and going back in the military. Maybe we'll have to do a, a follow up episode where we interview yeah. you later.
3: I should know if I'm able to get back in February or March.
0: Great, awesome. I know. Jared, I know. Jared mentioned uh, you're on Instagram. Uh, what's mm-hmm. your what's your handle so we can get some give you uh, a shout pe- out. Give you a shout out. <laughs>
3: Um, So my Instagram handle is bennercall76, B-E-N-N-E-R-C-A-L-L-76. And same thing with my Facebook is bennerdcall. Uh, The D stands for Denali, (laughs) like the car or the mountain, whichever people find out first.
0: Nice. All right. Well, everybody, go look them up. And you can find uh, a Brothers Creed podcast on uh, Instagram as well at
2: a.brothers.creed. All right. Thanks. Thanks all. Let's uh, build that creed together.
0: All right. Thanks, Benner. Appreciate it. Thank you. Bye-bye.